In fact, the Lord Jesus was so associated with lost people that they slandered him as being a gluttonous man, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We're committed and commanded to reach those people who are lost. However, those who are confirmed in false teaching, God says, separate from them. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in the final chapter of our study in the book of Romans, and as we review the greetings and salutations the Apostle Paul makes, it is important to note that he also admonishes the reader at Rome in verse 17 to beware of individuals who would cause dissensions and who seek to pervert the gospel. As we pick up, Dr. Brogy begins by warning against teachers who claim that the church has replaced Israel. Unfortunately, in the history of the church, there have been people who have tried to mimic the theocracy of Israel. That's what John Calvin did in Geneva. He said, well, the church is the new Israel, we've replaced Israel, and we need to be a theocracy like Israel was. And so he took this text and applied it when he burned a man at the stake for heresy, but this was something that was unique to Israel, and they didn't burn the false prophet, they stoned him. But the prophet who shall speak a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he shall speak in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. That thinned the ranks of false prophets. That made a man think twice whether or not he was going to speak on behalf of the living God. Why was God so seemingly harsh? Because their doctrines were damnable. Their doctrines led people into an eternity away from the living God. And God's heart is not that people would perish, but that they be saved. So Peter says, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. You say, are such people saved? No, they were never saved. He says, Further, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. These people are not only leading people to hell, they're headed for hell. Now, Christ purchased a means of salvation that they could have embraced. The atonement of Christ was for all people of every religious faith, but that does not mean that all will universally be saved. Only those who believe in the Lord Jesus for their salvation and no other name under heaven. And so God made a way of salvation even for these false teachers who denied the Messiah who bought them because God loves even the false teacher. He loves them so much that Jesus died for them and wanted them to be saved. But by their own choice, they denied the master who bought them. And so if you know 2 Peter 2, God does not compare them to sheep. He compares them to dogs and to pigs. Jude says they are devoid of the Spirit. They're physically alive, but they are without the Spirit. They are spiritually dead. Now, maybe they'll deny His deity. Maybe they'll deny His blood atonement. Maybe they'll deny His morality as seen in the Ten Commandments. But they, in essence, deny the Master who bought them. And notice they secretly introduce destructive heresies. Those two words, secretly introduce, is one word. In the originally, it was a word in the New Testament where, uh, in the New Testament era, where someone would introduce a thought that looked real and true, like other thoughts looked real and true. Jude will put it 
in these terms. Listen to this. When Jude writes in Jude verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, he wanted to write maybe another Romans, but the Spirit of God redirected his heart. I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. Again, it's articular, not just for faith, but the faith, the body of truth, which was once for all handed down to the saints. I want you to contend earnestly for that body of truth we call the Bible. And why? The reason is found in verse 4. Because or for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our Lord, uh, of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They have crept in unnoticed. One word in the original. It was used in the first century of a lawyer who would introduce a thought to say what today we would call a jury or a judge. And then he would come back and he would key off of that thought. He would introduce a thought as a sinister lawyer and he would key off of that sinister word. And so he is describing here people who come into the fellowship, they say they're born again, they say they're orthodox, they look Christian, they walk Christian, they talk Christian, but they're really not Christian. That's why they're unnoticed. And that's why God wants us to be alert. No one ever suspected Judas is a fake. They made him the treasurer. You don't make a fake, a dishonest person, a deceitful person, a hypocritical person the treasurer. No, Judas looked like a real apostle, but he was really a false Christian. He was a pseudo-Christian. Now, with that background, with those warnings that God is giving to his apostles, I want us to go to our text this morning. Because God is speaking in our passage about those who have fallen away of apostates. And he's warning the church at Rome, and listen, if it could happen to the church at Rome, it could happen to this church. It could happen to Community Bible Church. We live in a day that is filled with controversy. Pastors and congregations are debating whether or not women should be pastors. There is no debate. Look, your argument is not with me. Save your letters. God's word is clear. There are certain things that men should do, certain things that women should do. We are equal, but we have different roles. They're debating the roles of husbands and wives. They're debating the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're debating the infallibility of Scripture. They're debating euthanasia towards old people. They're debating the, the justification for abortion. I spoke with one of our state senators two weeks ago and asked him why it was that he would not defend life 20 weeks and above. Why it was, he's a pastor, this state center, a pastor in Charleston. Why will you not protect life 20 weeks and above? Because that's the bill that's coming on the South Carolina floor. He said, well, what if a woman is raped? I said, look, if that's your justification, which makes less than 1% of all abortions, a woman would know it before 20 weeks. I said, you claim to be a pastor and you will not protect life? What is there to debate about? We're debating all kinds of moral issues that God has spoken clearly on. And so one of the reasons for division sometimes comes from the carnality of God's people, but more often than not, as we will see this morning, it comes from false teaching. False teachers who come into the church, 
who introduce error that divides the people of God. And so to help us to understand this breaking news, this clear warning that he wants us to hear, he tells us two things. The first concerns the danger of false teachers, the danger of false teachers. Look, if you will, now at verse 17. The verse begins with, now I urge you. Now, we've seen that word urge already twice over in Romans. In the 15th chapter, Paul urged them to pray for him. And I would urge you, if you would, to pray for me because I need your prayer. Number two, Paul used this term in the opening verse of chapter 12. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. The English standard says, I appeal to you. The Net Bible, the New English says, I exhort you, I beseech you. The New King James says, another says, I plead with you. Another says, I beg you, as if God were on his knees, urging us, begging us. And so with a great amount of force, Paul is urging us to do something. And so he wants us to understand the danger of false teachers. You say, well, I'm not too worried, Pastor. Community Bible Church is a healthy church. We believe in all the essentials of Orthodox Christianity. We stand firm on the Word of God. So did Harvard once. So did Yale. So did Princeton. So did all of the mainline Protestant denominations in this country that for the most part today are totally apostate and far away from their roots. Look, if it could happen to the church at Rome such that Paul would give them a warning, it could happen to this church. So we need to pay attention. First, he tells us where to watch out for false teachers. That's point A if you're taking notes, where to watch out for false teachers. Again in verse 17, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. Now, some division, again, is inevitable. Just it, it comes just from living for Christ. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11? Let me read it to you. For there must also be factions among you in order that those who are approved may become evident. There will be factions among you so that those who are approved, the Greek word dokimazo, to be tested by fire, when you would take silver and you would heat it up, you would skim off the sludge on the top. God is saying there will be factions in the church, and one of the functions of factions is it shows who the real people are, the real believers. And I've seen in my 35-year-plus ministry that God has given me people who have come into churches who are sometimes in leadership, who will wander away, they'll create division, they'll leave, and everybody thought they were right, and then they have little or nothing to do with Christ. They're no longer walking with them. God does that sometimes. He, he shows who the real men of God are. Or sometimes he removes false Christians through the church through factions. Jesus said sometimes just through obedience, there's going to be division. Remember his warning? Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Some division comes just by choosing to obey God. But that's not what Paul is addressing here. He's talking here about dissensions and hindrances that are born in false doctrine. Doctrine is a word that just means teaching. 
people, I, I went to a conference years ago in Columbia, South Carolina, and the whole stands were filled. And the guy got up there, the MC, and he said, we're not here to discuss doctrine because doctrine divides. Yes, it does. It divides truth from error. Doctrine is important. And so 45 times in the New Testament, God tells his men to teach sound doctrine, to teach healthy doctrine. But here is false doctrine. Notice how it's further described in verse 17. Contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Now underscore two words. The first is the word dissensions. If you remember in Galatians 5, when Paul lists the deeds of the sinful nature of the flesh, one of the marks of the sinful nature is dissension. Well, this is dissension that's germinated out of false doctrine. False teaching. And then he mentions hindrances. It's the Greek word skaldileon. We get our word scandal from it. He's not speaking here of a moral scandal, but he's speaking here of a doctrinal scandal. Christians who are scandalized by bad teaching, by hindrances that are contrary. You see that word contrary? It's the Greek word para. We get our word parallel from. And so what does the devil do? He takes a truth and he lays next to it, parallel to it, a half-truth. It looks true, it looks right, but it's not right. It's a half-truth. I mean, think about it for just a moment. The best lies look like the truth. And so the devil, who is the father of lies, lays alongside a half-truth. He is masterful at it, and he inspires some of his servants to bring such hindrances into the church that are contrary to what God has revealed. People tell me all the time, well, I believe such and such. I was on a flight yesterday from Boston, and a young man sat next to me, and I felt, well, I need to stop what I'm doing and open a conversation to see if there's any interest. And God turned the, word, the conversation to spiritual things. And so I said, let me ask you a question. On a scale of zero to 100, zero, I have no idea. 100, I have no doubt. How sure would you say you are if you were to die this moment that you go to heaven? He said 32%. Then he said, no. He said, I'm wrong. I'm 100%. I said, why would you say 100%? He said, because I've been taught that there is no hell, and you asked me how sure I was that I'd go to heaven. Everyone's going to go to heaven. I said, now, who taught you that? My pastor. How do you know it's true? He said, it, it just seems true. It feels right to me that if God is a God of love, that he could not really send anyone into a place of eternal retribution. I said, well, let me show you something. So I had my computer on. I typed in a verse, and it popped up on the screen. It was the words of the Lord Jesus that spoke of what hell was like. I said, who do you think's true, your pastor or Jesus? He said, well, I guess Jesus would be. I typed in another verse, Apostle Paul. What he said, when God will deal out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. I said, who do you think's right, the Apostle Paul or your pastor? He said, I guess I'd have to say the Apostle Paul. And I reminded him, I said, Cameron, listen, everything you believe is based on something. You either made it up, you thought it up, you read it in a book, a preacher told you, just believing it doesn't make it true. Every belief you have is founded in something. 
And if it's not true, it doesn't matter how sincerely you may embrace it, you will be sincerely wrong. And so people say, well, I believe homosexual marriage is legitimate. I don't believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. I don't believe that a loving God would send anyone to hell. On what basis? And how do you know whether what you believe is true? When Jude describes these false teachers who deviate from the faith from the Bible delivered once for all by the apostles, he calls them dreamers. In other words, they thought it up themselves. Let me ask you, do you believe in the doctrine of eternal security? Once saved, always saved? You say, well, yeah. Why do you believe that? Because you've told us. But can you go to the Scripture? And affirm it. Why do I ask that? Because some of us are at a critical juncture in our life and we are raising the children in our home. And you are telling them what truth is, but you're not showing them from the living word of God where they can grasp and develop their own convictions from the word where they see it's true. Because there's coming a time when they are going to leave your home and people are going to go after the way they think. They will get on the university campus, they will get into the Marine Corps, they'll get in the job market, and people will challenge their way of thinking. I remember as a new student, I was a freshman, I was just a a relatively new believer at Boston College, and I took a course that looked interesting to me, resurrection, myth or reality. I had hardly known the Lord but for weeks when I took this course. And it was taught by a Jesuit. The Jesuits represent the teaching order of the Roman Catholic Church, appointed by the Pope himself. And at BC, you have the largest community of Jesuits in the world. Every one of them has at least one doctorate. Some have two or three PhDs. It's incredible. Well-educated men. And so many of the students in that class were so naive, so unsuspecting, that they were easily swayed. Look, if you do not root your children in the living and abiding Word of God, what God has revealed in Holy Scripture, then you're in big trouble. Let me ask you a question. Let me read from a popular preacher. He said, the foundation of our faith is not the Scripture. The foundation of our faith is not the infallibility of the Bible. The foundation of our faith is something that happened in history. And the issue is always, who is Jesus? That's always the issue. The Scripture is simply a collection of ancient documents that tell us that story. And you think that's true? Look, it is true that the foundation of our salvation is the death and resurrection of Christ. But everything you know about the death and resurrection of Christ, everything that you know about Jesus that's accurate, comes from the Scripture. Who said it? Andy Stanley. Listen, there is a lot of deception that's going on in the church. There's a lot of things that are unfolding. He preached a sermon three years ago this month. When Gracie meets Truthy. And it was a section, it was a sermon dealing with homosexuality in his church. And it was a very carefully constructed illustration with, you know, a a big metal board where he put the little people and he argued that these two people who were homosexual men who were living together were doing what was wrong because they were still, because they were still married to their former spouses. So they couldn't serve. But once they divorced their spouses, they sat with him at a Christmas service. 
And he celebrated not only their lifestyle, but now his, their two former spouses who were remarried. And pastors all across America have challenged him and said, come out and tell us what you believe on this subject. It's been three years. I'm still waiting. We are living in challenging days. And God wants us to mark them out. You need to be alert because so many people are getting sucked into so much error and because pastors no longer are opening the Bible because that's not popular, that's not cool, and you want to be cool, and you want to be popular, and so people's minds are devoid of truth and Christian people are being led astray. Secondly, not only are we to watch for false teachers, and by the way, I hope I am dead wrong on Andy Stanley. He went to the same seminary I went to. I love his father. His father had a profound influence in my life. And I hope I am dead wrong on him. But we need to be alert, my friends. Watch out for false teachers. Secondly, we are to avoid false teachers. Now, I urge you, brethren... Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you've learned and turn away from them. The Bible is clear that we are to separate from those who teach false doctrine, who veer from plain apostolic truth. It does not say debate with them. It says turn away from them. Uh, when I was in campus ministry, I was often challenged to debate different people. And for the most part, I avoided those debates on the basis of what God said in Proverbs. Don't, it says, answer a fool according to his folly, and then not to answer a fool according to his folly. There is a time, certainly, to speak up and to help people who've been deceived understand the truth, but there are some people who really don't want to know the truth. Occasionally, you'll meet atheists, or, or more often, you'll meet agnostics. You know what an agnostic is? The word gnostic, gnosis, comes from the Greek. It means knowledge. And when you put the alpha prefix in front of gnosis, it cancels it. So literally, an agnostic is a know-nothing. He's not saying there is no God. He's saying, I don't know if there's a God. I'm an agnostic. When I meet them, I'll ask them, well, are you a hard agnostic or are you a soft agnostic? You say, well, what's the difference? Well, a hard agnostic says, I don't know and I don't want to know. A soft agnostic says, I don't know, but I'm willing to find out. Don't waste your time on trying to debate the first one. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you'll be like him. But then Proverbs says, answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he will not be wise in his own eyes. But listen, for the most part, we do not debate false teachers. We separate from them. That's the admonition. You might want to jot down a few verses because this in our day, unfortunately, is so hateful, apparently, so divisive, apparently, but it's what God says. Write down this, 2 Timothy 3.5. We just read it. Of those who denied the power of the gospel, he says, avoid such men as these. Write down this verse, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 14. 2 Thessalonians 3.14. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Or write this down, Titus 3 and verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. 
Now, please understand, Paul is not instructing us or the Christians at Rome or in these other passages that we're to have no contact with unbelievers. That would fly in the face of what God revealed through him in other places and what Jesus commissioned us to do. In fact, the Lord Jesus was so associated with lost people that they slandered him as being a gluttonous man, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We're committed and commanded to reach those people who are lost. However, those who are confirmed in false teaching, God says, separate from them. Have nothing to do with them. Why? Because in embracing them, you are endorsing them. So I got all kinds of hate mail when I preached a sermon years ago that that was broadcast in the different states that I broadcast, especially in New England. Why was I such a divisive person by not embracing Rob Bell? And I was commenting on that Christmas sermon about Rob Bell who was squishy on the virgin birth. I said, he's really squishy on this, and he's not clear, and he's saying it's not all that important. It's very important. And now, of course, you see him on Oprah. He denies the faith. He's performing gay marriages. And I don't say that with a sense of pride. I say it with a sense of regret, because he once pastored a church with thousands of people in it. God says there is a time to separate. So Rob Bell was welcomed into Willow Creek even after he wrote his book, Love Wins, that denied the eternal retribution of hell. How could he let such a man in his door where he got a standing ovation? Because they're ignorant of the Scripture. And when you are ignorant of truth, you will embrace error. And that's what the devil is doing in America. He has taken the exposition of the Word of God away from the pulpit and he's given pastors this platform where they quote a couple of verses in their sermon and they make you feel good, but they're not giving you what God says they are supposed to give and that is sound doctrine. Now, I meet Christian people. I have a friend who's a pastor in a United Methodist Church. I told him years ago, I said, Dean, you need to leave that church. And I quoted to him these verses from Romans 16. I said every week, I said, you're a Bible-believing pastor. He said, I'm staying for the influence. You're influencing them, all right. You're collecting their tithes. A portion goes to the denomination at large that is supporting all kinds of wicked things that are contrary to Scripture. Or I meet Christian people who are in dead apostate churches. I said, why are you in that church? Well, you know, our family's been here for generations. My daddy was here, my granddaddy was here, my great-granddaddy was here, and I'm staying to have an influence. I want to be a witness in this lost denomination. Yeah, you're a witness, all right. Yes, you're having an influence. People look at you and they say, he's a good man. He's a good husband. He's got a great marriage. He's got great kids. He goes to that church. I guess that's where I need to go. And they get exposed to error. Ah, but I can't leave. You know, grandmother's buried out back, and that's where I'm planning to be buried. Listen, if grandma could get up and leave, she would. But you ought to. For a copy of today's study from Romans 16 entitled Breaking News, use the Search the Scriptures with Carl Brogy app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling us at 877-787-7478 and requesting program ROM73. Perhaps you have a question you would like to ask Pastor Brogy personally. Do that Tuesdays between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. Tomorrow we'll conclude our look at breaking news. Join us then as we search the scriptures.